I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of several lower-focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my stupendous co-host with me today, Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt? I was hearing Anne's voice in my head as you were talking. You know, I'm, I'm sure a lot of our listeners have that same thing, but I assure yeah, but- you, I am not as good as Anne. Oh, I'm, please, don't say things like that. It's <laughs> mean to you, is mean to Anne. Uh, my point was just that it was strange because you've managed to get her cadence down so I could hear her voice doing it at the time, you know, alongside you. <laughs> All right, then. Well, I'll take that as a uh, as the compliment that I that I think it's meant to have, So sweet. I didn't really mean it as a compliment or an insult. It was just an observation. Well, I'm you're making to me feel it. like you're making me feel like Sheldon from the Big Bang Theory. Oh, well, then I'm I'm sorry. We're not going to do that. But. We do our we we're going to do our best to answer our questions today from our listeners. We do have a few of them, uh, not as many as we usually do. I was actually very surprised. Light week. Um, don't hesitate if you have questions about anything that's going on in the Warcraft universe uh, or any of Blizzard's games. Send them in. Podcast. Diablo's at, right there, guys. Diablo's right there. Uh, podcast at blizzardwatch.com or either of our channels on discord uh and i am making it a point to be on discord a lot more too uh so if you have a question and then you want to have some interactions throw them in there as well i'm i'm usually in supporter chat uh i just had a wonderful discussion about some of our uh tabletop role-playing games actually with one of our listeners so a shout out to tetsemi who we've answered many of their questions before uh but yeah feel free to stop by say hello interact with us it's good times. And send us questions. We like questions. Uh, our first one comes from Metalzani. Uh, greetings, watchers of Blizzard and lore. While looking through my emails, I found some sent emails to the old show from 2012. And boy, did I have bad ideas and questions. 
Well, while <laughs> cleaning my email, I found one in a draft email asking what the Twilight Realm was that the dragons could go into. So what is the Twilight Realm now that we've seen to have more realms than a hunter has pets? I would assume the Twilight Realm is connected to the Old Gods and Nihilatha since they were created by the number one fan of the Old Gods, Deathwing. Thanks for answering said thought. P.S. Really hoping to see Deathwing or Zul'jin in the Shadowlands. Well, I mean, I don't know if we need to do a particular recap on the Twilight Realm. Uh, if if people remember it, they probably remember it the most from when they did the various fights against various Twilight Dragons. For instance, when you fight Ultraxian, he pulls the entire raid into the Twilight Realm while you're fighting him. Um, it, when you fight uh, Helion and, and Verona... Uh, is it Helion and Verona? Is that their names? Or Val- uh, Valiona Valli- and Theralion. Thank you. Valiona and Theralion. When you fight them... Uh, you you can swap back and forth into the Twilight Realm, and uh, the first one that we fight, and his name is similar enough to theirs that I can't remember Hallion. who it is. Hallion. Yeah, when you fight him, is also a mechanic involving the Twilight Realm. Yeah, because he exists in all all realms at once or something like that. But when, so when you're fighting the, the, the various Twilight Dragons, they, they use the Twilight Realm. Uh, in terms of what it is, I... There's, it's never said, this is what this is. This place is here. This place is related to this. They, they just It exists, and you end up going into it. Um, it it's probably Void-related, uh, which we can determine that just because every time we've met Twilight Dragons, they're working for Deathwing. Like, we haven't seen any sense, so it's probably safe to assume there's some Deathwing relation in this, and therefore some Old God relation in it. Uh it's certainly very similar to the place we go when we go to the Horrific Visions, uh, which doesn't actually call itself a Twilight Realm, but it looks very similar to those areas. It, it's very reminiscent of the Twilight Realm. And so I'd be willing to assume it's Old God-related until I hear differently, but there's nothing in-game that says what it is. It, it, it exists, and you go there. That's that's all the, is the entire game. There's never once anybody saying, this place is here. No. There's, there's nothing in game that, that gives you that. It's a safe guess, but it is not established. They could come out tomorrow and say, "No, the Twilight Realm has nothing to do with the old gods of the void." And because um, we've mentioned something about it, they just might. You never know. But uh, as of right now, all we know is that the Twilight Dragons use it. What does it have to do with anything? We couldn't tell you. It could be related, in fact, to the Twisting Nether, because Twilight Dragons are descended from Nether Drakes. Yep. The Nether Drake. It was by studying Nether Drakes that Deathwing figured out how to make Twilight Dragons. In fact, it wasn't even him that did the initial work. Uh, it was his mate. And uh, if you read uh, Night of the Dragon, you see that it was her work that was used to create a ultimate Nether Drake that was like an absorbing and stealing power from other beings. Netheraku, I believe his name was, but I'm not 100% on this. Uh, I, I really should need to go back and read Night of the Dragon again. It's been a long time. But it's, it was her work that Deathwing then went and got, and and that's why when we see her, uh, I want to say Cindergosa, but it's not Cindergosa. I always confuse Cindergosa with her. Um, the one in uh, Fashion of Twilight. Cintharia. Cintharia, thank you. Uh, when we see Cintharia, uh, it's, it's her who did the original work, and the, the reason that she ends up down there with them is because of that. Uh, she's the, the reason that she's the one watching the dragon eggs in, in the clutches of the Bastion of Twilight, 
Uh, that, by the way, that's another reason why I'm I'm inclined to believe there is a linkage between the Twilight Realm and the Old Gods, is because Bastion of Twilight, the the end boss, is Syntharia. It's it, the end boss's goal is is uh, I want to say Goldon, but it's not Goldon. It's the two-headed ogre. Chogal. Chogal. I'm having a really bad memory day. I apologize. It, Chogal. Chogal is the it's one. Me doing it, so you're fine, man. <laughs> Chogal is the one who is the boss of the the normal and heroic dungeon and then the myth the i want to say mythic although they didn't have mythic yet but the 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 hard mode only boss for that raid was syntharia and because of that because she's down there with the eggs uh i assume that that's why there's a old god relation with the twisting the the, the twilight dragons but it could also be related to twisting nether because of that original connection to the nether dragons we honestly don't really know so there's, there and there's nothing in game that says one way or the other because of, of the way that the horrific visions work and because the horrific visions look very similar to the various times I've done game encounters with the Twilight Realm. Uh, I think that there it is much more likely to be all God connected. There might be some truth to that, although there are some interesting things that I think uh, should be pointed out about the Twilight Dragon flight. So Battle for Azeroth, we actually do see. Uh, Twilight Dragons. So there is an entire thing where if you do the island expeditions, uh, you can actually get a battered Twilight scale, which you bring it back. And I think it's Arinia, Arina, uh, talks about the Trogs digging way too deep and uh, in Grim Batal, of all places, and actually finding a brand new cache, a massive brand new cache of Twilight Dragon eggs. But that's not. That's exactly where Syntharia originally started doing her experimentation. So it's it not is. a surprise. It's not. But it was never really mentioned or anything was done until Battle for Azeroth. And then there is a, a little thing in the Vermilion uh, Ridout uh, in the Twilight Highlands where there's void, void twisted Twilight Dragonkin uh, that go after Alexstrasza. And we do that when we go to get the, the favor of Alexstrasza. There's that whole thing. Um, because we go with Caligos to, to go get her favor to help uh, empower the uh, heart of Azeroth, right? Uh, but they're mm-hmm. Void Twisted. It's specifically called out Void Twisted. And the realm they drag you into is a Void-tinted version of the Twilight Realm. So I think there may be some truth that because of uh, Deathwing's sort of linkage with the old gods and what happened with him, that he understood a little bit more uh, and maybe that information was shared and that was sort of like the experimentation when Twilight Dragons were born, they can sort of tap into that and create a realm, not necessarily one that already exists. And the reason... I also don't think this is unique to the Twilight Dragonkin. And the reason I say that, too, is going back to when we were dealing with the Dragonflights, when we were dealing with the, uh, I think it was, yeah, it was Wrath, when we had all of the Sanctums, uh, the Obsidian Sanctum and all that stuff, those were essentially pocket dimensions. Those weren't places on Azeroth. Those were specialty pocket planes that the dragons basically laid their eggs or had their sort of sanctuaries set up. And we could access it through portals, but is it something that needed the portals in the first place? Is this something that when these places existed, or way back when, uh, before the dragons did anything to, to sort of yeah, with the dragon soul in the first place, could they create these pocket dimensions? Is this something that they always had the ability to do? And to me, it would make sense if they could, simply because that's something we've seen other super cosmic beings do and who empowered 
the dragons in the first place. Beings that very much shape reality. So there is entirely a possibility that the Twilight Dragon flight, it, it could be something that's a combination of the two, because it seems that they can create it on demand, but not only can they create it on demand, they can pull other entities into it with them. Uh, and then you see the void corrupted version of it in Battle for Azeroth. Uh, and the reason it was probably very easy to become void corrupted is because, well, Twilight Dragon experimentation started with, well, a void corrupted dragon and his entire void corrupted dragon flight. So I, I think that might be something to it as well, is that it might just be a latent dragon ability that we may have never really seen in action aside from the Twilight Dragons. But we don't know yet. Uh, it it could be something that just exists. It could be another plane of existence that they can tap into or because their energies are aligned with it that they can shunt to. We don't know. They've never said. Maybe they will at some point. Maybe one day when we're going after the dragon flights again and, and trying to find the dragon isles, we'll learn a little bit more about that. To me, that seems the most likely. Anything else to add to that one? Um, I don't know where you're getting the idea that the Ruby Sanctum is another plane of existence. Like I see nothing in any of the lore mentions of the Ruby Dragon Sanctum that it was that it's that. Because the Sanctums, how do you get to them any other way? Where are they? Doesn't, but that doesn't mean that they're pocket dimensions. It just means we don't know how you get to them. There's nothing in game that says this is a pocket dimension because dragons can make pocket dimensions. I I didn't say that. I said there's a possibility. I didn't say that it was. Okay. Yeah, I, I was trying to figure out where that was ever mentioned. No, no, I'm just saying it, it was one of those things that makes a weird amount of sense just because of how we access it and where they were to me, at least, that, it, that it's at least on the table as a possibility because we don't know. And one of the other things that was really weird about it is remember when the Ruby Sanctum uh, like was essentially destroyed? Alex Straza was distraught because she couldn't go get even the remains of her mate. She couldn't get back there. So if it existed here, why would that be the case? If it existed anywhere in Azeroth, why couldn't she just fly there? So that's something that's always kind of stuck in the back of my brain. Like, why was that such a thing if this place existed here? Or is it a place on another planet or whatever the case is? How I want to know where those things exist. I just straight up took it that she couldn't get his body because he was destroyed. But she never goes back there, and anytime we interact with her, like, if you look at it... Yeah, but we, we, there's nothing in the game that says... Or the book, because you're talking about Thrall, Twilight of the Aspects. There's nothing in the book that says that she's distraught because she's cut off from it and can't get back. She just is distraught because he's destroyed. But not, It's quite possible. And, and She did mention not being able to get at the, the eggs, too, right? I don't have the book in front of me at the moment. So, because I remember that being a big factor of it as well, about all of something, something about like, all those lives book, lost. As far as I remember, the way it's portrayed in the book is that it's just it's portrayed like the Ruby Sanctum is literally physically underneath the Dragon Shrine, which is weird. But that's how it's portrayed. I always thought that was weird, too, because when you go into these realms and you look around, they're not they're not exactly small places. They remind me very much of going to like the earthen realm or, or like the, the elemental planes. When we go to those different various areas, yeah, they're completely I'm not different necessarily, planes. I'm not necessarily arguing that you're wrong. I'm saying that I don't, there's nothing in game that supports this either. I agree. I'm, I'm yeah. just pointing out the inconsistencies. That's all. That's one of the reasons I'm, I'm hesitant to say it is uh, the old gods related, that it's void related because there's nothing in game that says it is right. And that's what I want to make clear to people when we're talking about it. That we're basically speculating, which yes. is, you know, it's what we do. But at the same time, 
I don't want to present something and later on someone will be like, oh, but it said in the, they've revealed in Shadowlands of this. And it's like, guys, I don't know. Um, but it makes sense for it to be Void-related or to be Twisting Nether-related. Those are the, basically, to my mind, those are the two options. It has to be either the Void or the Twisting Nether because they, they come from Nether Dragons who were exposed to the Twisting Nether and then they were cre- they were experimented on by Deathwing to create the actual Twilight Dragonflight. And since that's the case, either they're out-pocketing into the Twisting Nether, which is a realm of pure chaos, and you could easily do that, or they're using the Void in some way. But I, I don't have anything other than just the fact that I've stated to back that up. That's and I, I want. Yeah. I feel really clear that I want to be real clear about that. One of the reasons that I, it would be interesting to find out is. We know that the dragons can create the... Uh, this is going to kind of link into the infinite dragons a little bit. We know that the dragons can create places like... Uh, the the oh Warlords of Draenor? Oh, no, 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 no. I was about to say. No. Uh, Nosdormu lives there. Oh, the camera's... The name of the, camera's uh, yeah. the time. Thank you. Yep. Uh, see, this is going to be a great show, because I'm going to constantly not remember the names of the things I'm talking about. It's fun. I get, to, uh, I get to remember all the things. I feel good for once. I get to uh, Nosdormu, Nosdormu has used his power to create the uh, Caverns of Time. And so we, we know that that's something... It's theoretically possible that each dragon flight did something like that. We know that the Eye of Eternity exists and is outside of time. It's a, it's a different realm of existence. It's mm-hmm. not Azeroth. So we know that it's possible for them to do this. And we don't we don't know where, where the Eye of Eternity is is again in relation to planes it could be some kind of weird outplane in some there's we we know by the cosmology chart we know where various forces exist so it could be there we don't know um we know that it's possible to make a plane of existence as well because we know that helia did it yep she actually created effectively a small demi plane to trap uh the halls of valor she she put the halls of valor in a small plane of existence and she created her own small plane of existence adjacent to the shadowlands that she was in charge of that's when you when you go to fight helia you're you're entering into her realm which is effectively adjacent to the shadowlands isn't um, technically the lich king old or not the lich king the old death knight starting area isn't it technically its own plane as well because it's not really it's sort of isolated but also like adjacent to the shadow shadowlands no the initial Death Knight starting zone is on Azeroth. It's floating no, when above. You, when you go into the Shadow Realm to steal the horse and all that other stuff. You, yeah, you go, but you're not... That's just a brief moment where you step into the Shadowlands. You're doing it from Azeroth. Like, the, the area... I couldn't, you're, yeah, you're, I, cu- I couldn't remember. That's why I was asking, because I haven't done that. I haven't done that starting in a long time. You, you're briefly, you briefly step into the Shadowlands, but that's, that's very much not because it's more adjacent to it. It's just that's where you go in there to get a mount. Um, actually going there to steal a mount that's the best part you actually take that mount from somebody else uh, there's a so we, we've got you know previous established you know previous dragons and dragon level things I mean things that are empowered by the titans in some way had the ability to do it so it's quite possible that the dragon flights did create out pockets um, and that each of them had their own uh, we know we would know of the caverns of time would effectively be a series of out pockets because you go to various previous times via their portals there. 
the for, for sure though we, we know that the eye of eternity is one we know we it's possible that the the ruby sanctum and obsidian sanctum are, are similar portals of existence i mean the obsidian sanctum is hard to say because you could be underground there yeah i mean because all you see great, is a red sky you don't necessarily yeah. see that that could be volcanic or whatever and we've seen evidence yeah. of that in other areas so it's entirely possible but it's it's very hard to know for sure. I do, however, think that it would be interesting to find out. Uh, it would be nice if, if we had a callback and actually found out one way or the other. Yeah, I, I agree. I would love to see, like, if we ever do more with Rathion and the Dragon Isles and everything like that, that would be a really good excuse to fill in some of these blanks for us. And I really hope we do, because uh, I'd like to know. I'd like to know some of these loose ends for the dragons. I'd like to know a little bit more about them, especially, and I'm not going to give any spoilers now, but, like, we're already learning so much more about the life of Azeroth simply because of Shadowlands. And dragons are a life of Azeroth. I'd like to know more. I'd like to understand more uh, about them because I think it's while they've been really, really cool in the past, they've been sort of like these cool moments. And outside of like Cataclysm, we haven't really had a big dragon focus in a while. We had like the the events of Chromie and we had uh, Warlords of Draenor essentially getting kicked off by a rogue dragon. Like we have all of these things that are like these cool moments but what do we really know about them? What do we really like? We've had some very uh, mortal moments from them, especially recently when we talked to like Ysera's kid uh, at one point or when we we're trying to empower the heart of Azeroth. Uh, we see things with the various flights because we go to all of them. The whole everything that happened with, with Ebonhorn, uh, the return of Rathium, all that stuff. We have sort of the makings of what could potentially be a very cool dragon focused even if it's just a patch content, like if it's a, you know, one of those cycles inside of an expansion, I'd love to see more of it personally. All right. Our next question, question for Lorewatch from Vertigree, Forsaken Mage, who is a tailor. Good to know. You can make me some new clothes. Uh, have either of you played through or found out what happens to the tailoring tools of the trade quest from 8.1.5? Unless you have, you may not have noticed the infinite dragon flights work all over Zandalar, Kultiris, and Nashatar. It all starts when you meet Timeweaver Delorme of the synchronous tailors in Nightborn form, who could be a bronze dragon, but might not be judging by some of her alternative selves being withered, Grand Magistrix, a night elven chronomancer, and a shade working for the infinite. In the end, you are left with her responsibility of using your skill to mend the rifts caused by the infinite all over Najatar, Kaltiris, and Zandalar, sometimes finding rare cloth from the uh, the past, lost time travelers, and monsters. Just hope you'd find it is this interesting and didn't remember it getting mentioned before in either show. Uh, yeah, we haven't talked about that. I don't have a tailor, uh, honestly. Do you have anybody that tailors, Matt? No. But this sort of ties in with what we were just talking about. That's kind of an interesting concept where tailoring of all things is literally stitching back together the fabric of time and space. That is uh, a little on the nose, but also very, very funny. Uh, <laughs> I'm looking at it right now. Um, I went and looked at it before we actually started doing the show. Um, there absolutely is... I think it's interesting that there is absolutely a night elf form for at least one of Delorme's alternate selves and one that is clearly an infinite dragon which to my mind would imply that yes 
this is a dragon. Uh, I, I, I'm almost certain that it is a bronze drake. Be just because, like I said, the alternate, including the alternate forms, one of the alternate forms is a night elf, and one of the alternate forms can turn into an infinite dragon, an infinite drake. So I am pretty, I am willing to, to say yes, barring any further evidence that it isn't, I would I would be willing to believe that this is a a bronze dragon in disguise, which they do. Uh, that they often take other forms, and it would make sense that an alternate version of her would take a night elf form instead, because she would come from a alternate timeline where the nightborn never became the nightborn. Because we have to remember the original nightborn were just highborn. Yep, they would have just been night elves. They just would have looked like night elves. Uh, it, it's only after 10,000 years of exposure to a magical artifact uh, created from a time-controlling titan, which you have to think the Bronze Dragonflight would be at least a little interested in, by the way, uh, the, the time-controlling artifact that lived within the heart of that city and created the Nightwell for, like, you know, 10... If we, when we fought Majestrix, uh, the actual Majestrix, whose name is absolutely escaping me at the moment, but she was played by Jennifer Hale, this is the, the best part about this. I know exactly who I'm talking about. Ele you're and talking about Elisande? No, I don't think I am. Am I? Grand, no, Grand, yes, I am. Grand, Ma yes. Grand Magistrix Elisande, yes. Yeah, I can even know her voice actor. I just, I can even see the fight <laughs> in my head because I just did this. But, um, yeah, so since that's the case, I am willing to believe this is a bronze dragon. Uh, in terms of, like, what's actually going on with any of it, no, there's nothing further on them. As far as I know, there is no more of this story. It's just that if you're a tailor, you do all this stuff and you end up having to go around stitching holes in, in time. So yeah, that, that has happened. I think it's, uh, I think it's interesting actually. And it goes along with what we were saying. Like, I'd like to see more about the dragons because we talked about this a bunch with like the bronze dragon flight, the infinite dragon flight. And, and every time we do, we always talk about all the different ways they talk about trying to keep everything together, basically. Right. Like they try to keep the fabric of reality together to one true timeline, have everything, you know, pieced together, but they never really discussed how they did that. And the idea here that's presented in a tailoring quest, which I think is really nifty is that traveling through hot through time, punches holes in time and space. It leaves a terror in reality. Uh, and there is literally a faction of, of beings, whether they are bronze dragons that are truly part of the flight or, or off on their own, uh, that go through and literally patch it up. They are, they are time weavers, is what they're called. Uh, and I think that's really, really cool. Uh, I think that is interesting because maybe... Uh, well, I shouldn't say maybe, because we know that until the infinite dragon flight really happens, until that event occurs, there's the bronze dragon flight are in theory still doing their job or at least trying to, but we've never really seen any of that in action. This might be the first time potentially that we actually see them doing the job that they were created for in the first place and keeping things patched and, and, and together. And there was a point, I believe, uh, Delorme, who at one point I think was visible to a bunch of players in Caverns of Time because I distinctly remember seeing a Nightborn there at one point. So that also lends credence to the fact that she's potentially Bronze Dragonflight. Uh, but yeah, I would I would bet money on that at this point, especially with the naming convention and everything else, uh, the different forms. Even if it's taking the form of an infinite Drake, that could be 
you know, just taking the form to work undercover or whatever the case is. But yeah, I, I think there's a pretty good chance that that is a bronze dragon doing the job that we've never seen them do. And then going, okay, human or insert mortal race here. You can go do this now. Here's how you, here's how you patch up reality. I'm going to go take a vacation. There's a beach over in the dragon Isles. I'm going to go kick my feet up on or whatever. But yeah, I, Again, I'd like to see more. I'd like to see more about the dragons and maybe something about this more in depth for more players than just tailors, because I never got to experience this because I don't have a tailor. So, oh, it's a good question. Our next one comes from our good friend Spry Sprocket. Greetings, watchers. The talk of food in a recent episode got me wondering, what do you think the unique cuisine of each race is like? Obviously, dwarves are into hearty comfort food. I have to imagine that gnomes are very interested in molecular gastronomy. Night elves strike me as taking paleo very seriously. And goblins don't eat anything that doesn't have microwave instructions on the back of the box. Do you have any headcanons about the regional cuisine of Azeroth and beyond? Uh, first of all, I don't believe for a second that dwarves are into hearty comfort food. I believe dwarves eat garbage, and it's usually fungus, because they build their cities to be closed off so they can live underground for extended periods of time. They do have they rivers, probably, though. Yeah, but that's probably... I think that they, if you're talking about dwarven cuisine, it's probably built... depends on the dwarves, first off. For instance, Dark Irons, they don't have herders. They Correct. live entirely underground. So Dark Irons are going with what I just said, fungus. Uh, anything they can grow underground, uh, which you know, for all I know, they can grow more than that underground. I don't, I, I've, don't recall there being a, a section of black rock, you know, depths that has, you know, the, the, the crash where they grow their food. I think most people didn't really think it was worth doing, um, in terms of designing it. But I, I definitely think that dark iron, dark iron dwarf food is probably like various kinds of animal burned really seriously like i because I, I, they're probably cooking it over lava uh and a ton of funguses uh whereas maybe uh the the iron forge dwarves the bronze beards probably as 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 joe pointed out they've got a lot of rams they're they've got herders they probably have a lot of goat cheeses and stuff like that they there are farms yep there are dwarven uh, farms there are farms in in um, I want to say like the, the, you know, the wetlands around around Menethil Harbor. So there's definitely farming of some kind going on. So it could be that they'd have something. I just straight up, I'm just going to say this. WoW players make a lot of assumptions about dwarves. <laughs> and they're not assumptions that's actually backed up at any point by the game. Except for Wildhammer. I mean, the, even even the, a lot of these we, we've seen a wild hammer wedding we know the wild hammers are kind of nuts they are and but we, they, I was they, saying like in terms of food we can actually go around the wild hammer areas and actually see what they eat that stuff's yeah, out there yeah to a degree I just don't know that we can really say that we can't make a judgment this uh, what, whatever hearty comfort food even is um, quite frankly I, I, your comfort food can be something I don't ever eat that's so, fair yeah it, it's hard for me to make that determination but I definitely think you can you can say that Dwarves, there tends to be a lot of cheese just generally in Azeroth because cheese is just one of those things that gets made into food for people to buy. Well, yeah, because milk, like, milk will spoil otherwise. you got to make cheese. And so that, that tends to be a lot of cheese. In, and if I'm going purely by food you can get right now because we, we're playing the game. That's where the food you can get is. There's a ton of like various kinds of meat. There's a lot of pies. Um, Which, again, makes sense for the, the time frame. Um, there's a lot of alcoholic beverages, and alcoholic beverages are made... 
in part because places like places are either Can't using the alcohol. Clean water. Well, that's 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 historical, but there's also one of the things I was reading about the other day was bread. Today, bread is generally made with baker's yeast, but baker's yeast is a relatively recent invention. Yes. Um, before that, bread sourdough type bread was a lot more common because the kind of yeast used was in something like a sourdough starter. Uh, and the transitional period between those kinds of breads, between the, like a sourdough-esque bread and, you know, modern baker's yeast bread, they used to use something called wort. Yes. And wort comes from beer. It's from beer brewing. Because mm-hmm. we, use, we use yeast to make beer, too. Alcohol is also made involving yeast. So I think that cultures that have extensive brewing are going to have bread made with that process and it changes the kind of bread you can have yeah because um, there's, there's a lot of like historical like if we just talk about real world like historical flatbreads or unleavened bread and things like that where like yeah. they you can look at the very simple very dense breads where they didn't have access to yeast or a lot of culture uh, that they could use to incorporate air into it and we actually do see some of that in Azeroth depending on where you go like you'll I, notice that, for instance, the alcoholic drinks that that night elves have are almost all variations on wine. Yeah, and they're not, and one of them at least isn't even a wine. It's actually even described as a liqueur. It's straight up not a wine. It's just called wine. So the, the, these are pro- products of different processes than say beer making or heavy distillation. So as as a result you may, you'd have different bread and, and the kind of bread you have if you have any bread affects the the things you eat as well um for instance you can't you just use straight up baker's yeast in rye bread you have to use a different formulation because the acidity of the process is different for rye than it is for wheat because rye is a different grain and that's just one example what grain are you using all stuff like that is all important to the kind of food you have i think talking about gnome food I wouldn't be surprised to find out gnome food is at least in, when when places like Gnomergon are functioning, that gnome food is very much almost three D printed from yeah. basic components. Yep. Like they have, they've got the protein strain that they make probably out of some sort of beans. They have, they basically got, have like the Starcraft replicator or Star Trek replicator, where like they just have proteins that get reassembled in like various forms. I could totally see that. Yeah, I could. That that would not surprise me. Obviously, humans do a lot of farming um, in, in Azeroth. The human culture in Azeroth is pretty boringly mono, mono-focused. It all, it all descends from like one source. It was like they were barbarians. They, they turned into the Arathi. The Arathi founded seven nations. Every nation in Azeroth that is human at present descends from them. It would be great to find out that some of the ancient Vrykul that were going through the Curse of Flesh didn't end up on, in the Eastern Kingdoms. Mm-hmm. And there was a completely different human culture out there somewhere. That would be really cool. If I were if I were writing a, a World of Warcraft supplement, if I were doing an expansion, that would be what I would do. Like I would have like there be like different peoples, like they'd still be like trolls and humans and all that stuff. But they'd have like they didn't end up when the Sundering happened. They didn't end up there. Maybe they went further south and found that an entirely new uh, nation and had their different culture. Like imagine you you find this group of like completely new trolls you've never seen before and completely new humans you've never seen before and they live together as like you know in this this joint nation and there's like little half troll half human babies running around and you're like what you guys they're actually like a people that are like half troll and half human and they descended together and they've become one people 
Uh, stuff like that would be kind of cool. That has nothing to do with food. Sorry, big sidetrack. <laughs> but I do think about it in terms of like if you've got certain, you know, if you've got certain kinds of bread, then you, you're you're harvesting certain kinds of grains. If you've got grains that you harvest, we know night elves don't do a lot of harvesting. They they actually, for most part, they're they're not a farming people. They, they forage they use, more than anything, yeah, right? They, they have a lot of druids, and they can basically get the plants to do what they want. They give them food. Um, they eat a lot of gourds and, and fruits and so forth. Not a big bread-eating people. I don't know. I think there are breads available when you go to Darnassus. Of course, you can't go there now, but you know what I'm saying. I think when you go to an inn that's a night elf inn, I think there are – you can buy various kinds of foods. But a lot of times it's actually like food from other alliance inns, and it's therefore it's like dwarf-made or human-made. There's actually stuff you can look at in-game. I think the very fact that you go to Westfall and like a huge part of the questing in Westfall is still about making a kind of stew that involves finding all these different animals. Like, so you, you can From that, you can derive that human stews are, are extremely animal-based. Uh, Westfall stew takes a lot of critters to make. So which, there's, which makes sense with sort of like the human culture as it's portrayed in game, right? Like, yeah, to to a degree, yeah, absolutely. But I mean, you know, you you still making a stew, you're gonna want to have all those other stuff in it besides meat. Uh, it's not a stew at this point; it's just meat goop. You have to like have stuff like you know starches and so forth to make the stew, and and you know other things. That's like the difference between like there's so many different kinds of stews in human history as well. It is it is of course always going to be difficult to to do this kind of stuff. I don't. I, the thing about goblins doing anything that doesn't have microwave instructions, it's a funny joke. But at the same time, we've seen their uh, goblin starting zone. They did have extremely processed food, to, out, up to including having soft drinks. Yep. You know, goblin culture. Cola. Torin, uh, I'm going to shut up now and let Joe talk for a bit because I've been talking for like <laughs> five minutes. But uh, Torin, I'm going to say, Torin have an extremely hunter focused culture and they were nomadic. Yeah. So I think Torin like practically define hunter gatherer. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think Torin are definitely very hunter gatherer. Um, orcs tend to be like they try to farm. They do have some farm. There's some human parallels there, um, but I think that they're. I we talked about this. I think it might have been the last episode or the episode before, where there's this idea that orcs are like these meat eating like massive like consumption consumption machines of meat. But I don't think that's the case. I think while they may eat meat, they may they definitely qualify as omnivores. I wouldn't be surprised if orcs evolved, and we and it, it, we talked about like the fact that they're descended from creatures that were literally designed to kill plants. Probably they have a whole lot of plant like eating variety in them, which is why when they they get so angry about where they live so often, and we've seen them farm, we've seen them use animals. We don't know to what extent, uh, because it's never really been fully, fully explored in game. But I could totally see like this big warrior orc settling down with like nuts and like a big, uh, big, big, big salad, right? Well, I mean, look at what Thrall did when he retired. He went to be a farmer. Yeah, he ran. He ran off to to outland and started himself a farm. By the way, every so often I keep finding myself wondering. Did he ask his wife about rejoining the Horde Council? We never saw what he did. He just kind of kind of left. <laughs> yeah, like, did he like leave a note? Honey, gotta go save Azeroth. Because <laughs> at some point, I want Agra to show up and be like, "Excuse me, 
Goel. Oh, she called him Goel. Everyone in the cows like, oh, she mad. <laughs> uh, son of Duratan and Draco. If I might have a word. Hello, dear. It's good to see you now. I'll be right back. No, you won't. No, I won't. <laughs> uh, man, I'd love to see that scene. But I don't know. Like, oh, the the dwarf thing, I, when we're talking about the Wildhammer stuff, the only reason I, I brought up like we kind of know what they eat is because when you go through their towns, whether they're destroyed or not, you see a lot of cured meat uh, hanging on the walls. And you see a good smattering of, like, farmed goods, because that's who they are. Kaltirans, we've just gone through their entire area. We know that they have a varied uh, diet of, of fish, because they talk about fishermen, as well as farms. They have an entire zone that is basically one verdant farmland, uh, until we go and mess it up, because Horde can't let anybody have anything nice. Um, the Night Elves we talked about, they lived almost exclusively off of Ark Wine, uh, where then eating anything other than that is sort of, uh, I, I want to say, like, theater, really? It's it's almost like a, a guilty pleasure for them. Even when, like, we're talking about the uh, the Adder poem. Uh, I can't remember the name of that short story now. The most yeah, recent one. Yeah, the, the one. Yeah, I know the song you're talking about. And I can't remember the name either. Yeah, even when they're talking about, like, the feast, like... Lothamar is more into, like, he's actually eating, whereas everybody else almost is portrayed like they're playing with their food. Like, it's it's sort of like theater for them. It's pay, it's not A moment in verse. A moment in verse, thank you. Uh, but it's almost presented in that way. It's never exclusively said, but it, the way that the, it's written makes me think that, yeah, they don't really care so much about food. Um, Drenai, I, I don't think we've ever really talked about what they have certain things that, that when you like for instance when you're starting off playing a Draenei you can buy food yeah and it's it's got you know unique names to it. so it, it seems clear that the Draenei do eat and they they have the Rengari and they even like when you do when you go to out to more as a Draenei when you're playing in the, the Sh- Sh- Shadowmoon Valley there's a whole thing about how they had to learn to cultivate the land and they they want to try and do it using their old technology but it doesn't work there and it actually makes things worse so there's there's a little bit there about that. They, there are obvious farms and settlements in Shadowwind Valley. You see that the Draenei do, in fact, grow food. Um, but it is very much not talked about. Very, it, there's very, there's nothing in the game about you know the Draenei you know big meal at night and it's what it's made of or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, let's see. We've covered gnomes, Pandaren. We already know they have. We have an entire zone dedicated to nothing <laughs> yeah, Pandaren, but farming. Eat- Everything, you know, this, yeah, they don't, you know, if you brought them a new food stuff, they'd probably be your friend forever. Uh, Worgen fall generally into the human category for the most part, probably more. I would, I would say, I mean, we see Celestine of the Harvest before she's even a Worgen using nature magic to help grow food. We, yep. we know that they have a, a farming based culture very similar to, but slightly more steampunk. So, yeah, I would say them. Uh, trolls, I think we, and, and Matt had definitely brought this up last week. Uh, because of their formation of teeth, it's also very likely that they're mostly probably herbivores. Um, we don't know. It really does depend, too. The thing about the trolls is there's clearly, like, cannibalism in some troll cultures. Yes. We talked which, about that, too, yeah. And we know that they eat meat. In general, they do eat meat. They hunt for meat. They they have a strong hunting culture as well. It's not talked about as much, but they're also, like, the, the one of the troll racials is they're good at killing animals. Um, which is weird, 
but it's it's there. They 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 get don't they get an experience bonus for killing animals? I believe they 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 did or still do. I haven't played a troll in a while. So, but so, yeah, yeah the, trolls trolls hunt. Yeah, and then we have. Uh, I mean, they have the various different clans or or uh, tribes. I, I would tribes, say. yeah, tribes of trolls. Uh, and then I think the only other one, because undead don't eat, uh, so, you know, the Forsaken do not eat. They uh, kind of cannibalize. I don't know if that counts. Yeah, it's adding mass to their body. I don't think it counts. Um, but then you have Blood Elves, who they seem very... Out of all of the races of Azeroth, the Blood Elves seem the most likely to actually, like, enjoy high cuisine. If that makes sense, like they're the ones that seem like they would have like these haughty dinner parties and have like the, you know, best filet mignon and like these these absolute wonderful caviar that we found of this one rare fish that only lays eggs once every 10,000 years. Like I could totally see them doing that. They seem like they would enjoy all food because that's just part of their culture is sort of like this this regal indulgence almost. Um, I, well, I think that pretty much everything in their culture is that way, so it would make sense for their meals to be that way as well. Uh, I just want to come back quickly to this, because I know somebody out there listening to this is, is yelling beast slaying at their screen. The troll ratio that gives them experience when they kill beasts is called beast slaying. Thank you. Um, so, yeah. It's still in the game. It, yep. it never got taken out. So, yeah, if you're a troll player, you get um, 20% increased experience from killing beasts, which is... Useful at low level? I mean, I don't, I don't know. You, you tell me, troll players. Do you guys feel like you level really fast? I don't know. No. But uh, to go back to what you're talking about with the, the blood elves, I think that to a degree, the blood elves and the the nightborn are kind of similar. Yep. And except that with the nightborn for ten thousand years, they didn't need to eat at all, other than the, the sustenance was derived entirely from the nightwell, from stuff like arc wine. So eating, as you said, eating was basically like putting on a show. Whereas the, the Blood Elves and the High Elves before them did need to eat. So it is actual sustenance for them. They're, they're not just doing it to put on a show. But everything they did was part of a calculated mm-hmm. culture of... It was sophisticated and it was very deliberate. Blood Elf slash High Elf culture was very engineered to say, we're not like those guys. Yeah. They rejected a loon. They turn their backs on everything that it's like if you look at night night elf and and blood elf culture, you are looking at two cultures that are ultimately reacting to the same event. They're reacting to the sundering, the the night elf culture from like the current one, the one from ten thousand years ago on, said, look at the the highborn and everything they did was wrong and awful and we reject all of it. And the blood elves when they were the high elves are saying no. We have to preserve what was good in that culture. This stuff you want to do, where we go live in the woods and eat bugs. No, we reject that. And that's why they split in the first place. When when Dathramar Sunstrider led the ancestors of the High Elves over to to the Eastern Kingdoms, he was a he was a night elf. All the people that came over with him were night elves. Mm-hmm. And it, it was only after 10,000 years of with the Sunwell and their different way of life, their conscious rejection of everything that, that the Night Elves had decided to embrace, that they turned into the ancestors of what are now the Blood Elves. They turned into High Elves. 
it was there keep in mind that they had like three or four generations while at the same time the, the night elves did not age past a certain point like once they were they just they were immortal and ageless so their culture stayed exactly the same from the moment that they founded it whereas the high elf culture evolved and changed and so that's probably reflected in how they eat just you, you, the first thing that they would do is create a much more cultivated and sophisticated diet whereas the the high the night elves are like no we don't want to have anything fancy we'll just get our sustenance from nature because we can t we can totally just ask it to provide us whatever we need whereas if you look at nature if you look at the way nature exists before the ghostlands were formed if you look at the zone around it's almost, it's almost crystal forest like right like uh, it's, it's very it's very engineered. deliberately engineered to look like autumn at all times it's always high. It's like the end of summer, always. Just the lynxes that patrol there are are perfectly red gold. Everything is set up to look like a forest, just caught forever on the edge of autumn. And that's with magic. They did. They had magic. There's, if you if you go to, um, I'm gonna forget the name of the place again. It's not Architraz, but it's one of the three dungeons that Architraz is one of them. Uh, the high botanist botanizer encounter is there. There's a blood elf who is in control of plants and using plant magic way before we ever see the, the, the one in the Nightborn. This is this is a, a Burning Crusade guy, and he's a plant. He's a he's a I want to say a botanist. nature mancer botanist, the high botanist, yep. which is exactly the same as we see with the Nightborn. The, the Nightborn have very similar ones. One of those guys is in that dungeon and he is using his his magic to control plants in a very different way than Druidism. They've got their own traditions that they preserved, and they control the plants very, very strongly. They don't. They, there's none of that. Let it grow wild and just reap what you can get from it. They they dominate them. They make them plants into whole new strains, whole new breeds. So yeah, I think that they would definitely come through in how they eat and what they eat. It's it's always interesting to think about questions like this, and I know that out there right now there is there is. In existence, and I think it's uh, several years old at this point, uh, there is a World of Warcraft official cookbook. Um, I would love to see an updated version of it uh, with some of the other foods or f inspired foods from Azeroth, uh, especially now with Battle for Azeroth being uh, sort of come and gone, right? I'd love to see them expand that. But one of the things that I learned way back when, when I was actually studying like anthropology in college and, 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 and cultures in general, is how much you could actually tell about a culture based purely off of the food that they consume. Uh, and that's very true. Uh, here's a simple one. Here's, here's a simple one that is a little, this is something that they, it's much more sophisticated than I'm going to portray it, but here's a simple one in China and Japan. They don't eat a lot of cheese. Mm -hmm. The process of cheese making wasn't something, it's not a particularly, it's not something that Asia really had up until much more recently modern eras yeah for instance for instance in korea they straight up have a cheese theme park because cheese was created by a a monk who, who brought it over and taught them how to make cheese not because it's such a magical concept that they never thought of it just they did not have it it's just something that they didn't do um and so when you when you a lot of times people are like, oh, Japanese snacks are so weird because they have like cheese-flavored candy. The Japanese had no idea what to do with cheese. 
Yeah. It wasn't a taste that existed in their palates. And if you think that sh- that cheese can't be a dessert, what are you doing with that damn cheesecake? <laughs> so clearly, obviously, we do it, too. It's just that that's the only thing they could think to do with it because they did not have it until it was suddenly introduced. That happens – if you look at, like, European – European diets, people went crazy for spices. Like, they, they – they, the world looks like it does now because people were trying to get spices. Yeah. They didn't of- have them. A lot of food in Europe was bland as heck. They didn't have access to spices. One of the reasons that like certain regional diets of European countries could be so flavorful was because they had access to spices from overseas. Portugal and Spain, for instance, Italy, they they had spice trades. The spice trade, and that was an enormous thing. It drove, it it drove those cultures. It it caused them to expand, to colonize other parts of the world in part and, to get spices. And part of that we see in in to bring it back to Warcraft, just to put it in context. When Garrosh is running the Horde, that is one of the things that is on his mind is how am I going to feed my people? And it's not that he's not just waging war in his brain, at least uh, purely for the, the the sake of territory. It's territory so he can expand farms. It's territory so that he can continue to feed the people of the Horde. Yeah, uh, that's even in a short story. Yeah. He gets confronted by the two sisters, uh, Krenna and, Go- and Gorgana. He gets confronted by them because one of them is like, you know, what do you, you know? This place is, we can't live here. We can't feed our people here. There's a reason nobody wanted this land. Yeah, it's it's not good. Even the Quillboard don't want it. Um, you know, it's it's actually really interesting to think about the fact that that's true. Like for all for all you want to like, the Horde are absolutely the, the aggressors nine times out of ten, but they were basically settled down in a desert. And not even a good desert, a crappy desert. Um, there wasn't a ton going on in the, in the land that, that Thrall named for his father. Uh, Duratar is not a great place to live. No. And and that was the whole reason they settled there, was like because nobody would bother them. At least that was the thought process, because nobody else wanted it. And, but he still had to feed all those trees. But he, he had to still feed had to feed people. everybody. Thrall, Thrall yeah. was not always not always in making the smartest decisions. Let's let's I, be honest. Uh, let's be fair. Thrall probably thought that they'd use shamanism and, and like talk the spirits into helping them, and they yeah, probably she, did for That's a while. How they were able to sustain it as long as they did, but it it was definitely a situation that always that was always going to lead to more conflict. There's a reason that the the horde was immediately expanding up to the two places in the north. They were they were going right up into Ashara and they were going right up into uh, Ashenvale because, because they those places that they, could they, farm. they needed wood, they needed food, and those places were capable of supporting both. So yeah, there's a lot to, to it. It is an interesting su- subject to discuss. Yeah, so uh, I thank you very much for that that question, Surprise Rocket. I think we spent a lot a lot of time on that, probably more than you expected, but it it, it it's very intriguing to see when you talk about it, how much food actually does revolve at this, uh, this, or how much the story of WoW revolves around food in general. Uh, but I think we have time for one more because we spent so long on that one. Uh, this one is from Shadana. Question for the Lore Watch podcast. We know about the Dragon Isles. I think it is canonical, and I recall something about some island or landmass in the South Seas, which, again, may not be canon up until Mr. Pandaria. We could have logically theorized about another continent 
because of Chen's storm sign in the Pandaren in Warcraft 3. We knew the Pandaren existed, but had not found their homeland and did not know from whence they came. Is there anything, e.g. races without definite homelands, game dialogue, Chronicles information, in lore, that you recall that would support the idea that there are full continents on Azeroth we have not reached? It is easy enough to squeeze in some large islands, as they did in BFA, but a full landmass is another thing. These questions brought to you by Shad, Blood Elf, Protodin on U.S. Hygel. Um, hmm. we talked about this. Uh, I want to yeah, say we a couple about months this ago. Times, yeah, yeah. Um, quite quite frankly, I mean, one of the things that's easiest to point out is that uh, how do I put this? We we know nothing about what is on the other what it, what there could be outside of the map that we currently have. With all the stuff that's been put on it and so forth, it still covers the same basic area as it did back in, like the Warcraft two and three map, the Warcraft three map, basically. Oh yeah, easily. Um, and going back to like, you know, every version of the game, like the Dragon Isles were basically up north. If you look, if you go look at one of the the beta versions of World of Warcraft before it was released, the Dragon Isles are actually on the map. They're up yeah. to the north of the Eastern Kingdoms. That doesn't mean that's where they're going to be when they actually put the, the, you know, if they ever actually put them in the game. I'm just saying that that's where they had them. They were to the north of Lordaeron. Uh, this doesn't mean that's going to be what they end up being. Um, but in terms of the, the world of Azeroth, in terms of anything that we know of that would make us think there's another continent, there's only a few things. One of them is the one that was pointed out at BlizzCon years ago. Uh, Redshirt guy pointed out that Azeroth starts off wintry on the north, and then when you get down to the furthest southern extent you get to, it's all tropical. Like, like almost as if we're just hitting the equator. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that's what it is. We we all we know about Azeroth is that it is globe shaped. Like we've seen it from space, we've seen it from another world. We know it is planet shaped, and it looks like a planet. We don't know anything about how it is arranged. We don't know if there are other continents or not. We know that nobody sails. Nobody decides, hey, here we are in the Eastern Kingdoms. I'm going to sail east and go around that other big ocean to get to Kalimdor from the west. Nobody ever does that. We don't know why nobody does that. They just don't. Like, is it distance? Is it just enormously far? Is it there's other stuff to do? Like, you know, do, do they not other like massive? Like once you get outside, we know that. The entirety of every every continent we currently have in Azeroth was created out of original Kalimdor. And Kalimdor didn't explode, it imploded. Yeah. Much of the place was sucked under the water. Which means that the entirety of Azeroth, the Great Sea, all of it, could be a relatively shallow ocean. And almost all of Azerothian navigation could be based around hopping from place to place. Like, it, there's enough islands and enough shorelines that they could they could basically be traveling in a very relatively calm, shallow sea, they avoid the maelstrom and they just keep islands and stuff in, in, in sight. And that's how they navigate from place to place. That's how the Greeks did it. Yeah, and that and that's another thing historically that I think should be pointed out, and this is something that could be playing uh, a huge part in just Azeroth in general, is a lot of times through history, the scope of the world was never truly known because a lot of the cultures that we have any sort of like expansive seafaring from for a long time 
like there were certain places that they just could not reach because people never returned. And or so, even when they did reach them, um, one of the one of the stories I love. This is a, in Herodotus. Is the histories. There's a story that he he relates, and he, he first thing he says is, "This is just what they tell me. I don't know if this is true, but apparently, in the reign of this Egyptian king, he decided to circumnavigate Africa." And the, everyone, like the Greeks, were like, "That's crazy!" Like, yeah, no, but he totally he circumnavigated it, and he went, he sailed all the way down and around and back into the Mediterranean. And they were like, "That's not possible." And for literal thousands of years, people thought Herodotus made it up because he included a detail: the sun seemed to switch position in the sky when they got far enough south. And everyone thought, "Oh, that proves he made that up. That's ridiculous." Except. When they finally did cross mm-hmm. the equator and found out, no, that's what happens. The sun now seems like it's over there instead of over there. Because you've literally moved. The planet is now, you're on the other side of, a, of the globe, effectively. You're in a different hemisphere. And the sun's position is slightly different in the sky because it is you're looking at from this place, not this place. And a- that detail is a detail nobody knew, even though it was in a book written in, you know, a BC 400 or so. And yet nobody believed it. In, and so it wasn't, it wasn't reported. And so that's the kind of thing we could have here. There could be people who have sailed that way. They may have ended up on islands. They may have even reported their experience because nobody is bothered to follow up on it. And you don't know about it. And we're in a unique position where if you go through battle for Azeroth, and even if you read through uh, shadows rising, there's an emphasis on the lack of Navy for both factions at this point because don't forget like that's the one of the whole things one of the reasons that the horde went to the zondalari in the first place is they had a navy we needed their navy because we don't have boats anymore sorry we have maybe a couple goblin submarines laying around uh we can't beat the alliance who have a massive shipyard attached to their main city you know churning out goblin or sorry a gnomish you know, designs in, in all these airships and everything else we can't keep up. So with all of that and then the focus on being military, with everything being so devastated now, how are they how like why are they why would they focus on going elsewhere yet? But what I find interesting is we might be entering into a point where that becomes something that could start happening. Yes, the thing that's happening with Shadowlands is absolutely, you know, crucial and critical but we talked a lot about you know while we the heroes are off in far off distant shadowland or not so distant shadowlands doing what we're doing there what's happening on azeroth what's happening back home i could totally see you know one of one of anduin's orders being we need to find more lands we need to find more people or whatever before he gets sucked into uh the maw or you know and then i could see somebody like our lovable ship captain that we just had in our our lovely uh, recent book of Shadows Rising, being tasked with, hey, go explore, go 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 take you know Matthias Shaw with you and, and go go find more lands. Let's let's see what else is out there. I could see something like that starting to be on the docket, because, I mean, if there's a treaty, there's there's a quote unquote peace right now, and then we have everything that's going on in Shadowlands. What else are the other people here going to do? What else what else are the common folk going to do besides rebuilding and those that maybe can't go fight a war in another plane of existence? Soldiers get bored. 
we're going to go explore for new lands. You want to be like our security on the ship? Bet you a whole bunch of them would say yes. I could totally see something like that happening. And this would be a perfect excuse for it. And it's one of those things that we've talked about a lot, too, is even when we see pictures of Azeroth, they always seem smaller than you would expect. Like they're almost like this limited scope. When we find globes uh, in different areas, uh, when we go to Titan facilities, things like that, we see very, very select regions. And Matt brought this up uh, several months ago, and I think this is a really interesting point. The Titans might not have cared about anywhere else on Azeroth because it wasn't near a wound. It wasn't near an old god infestation. It wasn't near any facilities that they had to build in order to keep the planet in one piece. So there might not be any record of it. There might not be anything that they cared about because their vision was so narrow, was so focused in this particular region. There yeah, could they be- were trying to save the Titan soul. The Titan soul was wounded by the wound that they made when they pulled out the old god. If the and, old god invaded one area, then that would have been the area they'd focus on. And that wound is the center of our map. That gaping wound, that 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 horrendous torrential siphon of a place, is the center of the Azerothian map. If you pull up any map, in game or otherwise, and you look at the entire world map that it's laid out, that's the center point that there's nothing else beyond that. So why they could create new lands, they could create other areas and new races and offshoot races or or various versions of Azerothian races that maybe expanded elsewhere. Cause we know like Torn, we talked about them. They moved around. They, they settled the, the Tonka. That's how they, they became. I'm I'm sorry, but I'm loving the idea of the Torn deciding F this place and getting on boats. I, but, <laughs> but it, no, no, I love it. I, I but it's totally, it's totally something. That, the idea, but it's because, totally something that could happen. Well, because here's the thing, man. In in actual like human human history, paleontological history, there's a phenomenon called rafting, mm-hmm. where where animals end up just drifting on debris across the ocean. That's how that's how certain monkey families got to South America from Africa. Yes. By the time they evolved, Africa and South America had split apart. And so they had to raft across the much smaller ocean between those continents in order to, to spread. And they did, and that's why we have Old World and New World monkeys. I'm just imagining a bunch of Torin going like, you know, just get a bunch of planks. We're going to make something. And we're going to get – we're getting out of here. This place sucks. Yeah. I get, well, the, the, the Yongal going, hey, we're going to go uh, We're going to go elsewhere and winding up on a completely different continent. Uh, we don't know how many groups of them, like, decided to go elsewhere, but we know that some of them wound up in different places. Why not that as an option? Like, it's entirely possible. And I love the idea of these offshoots of these races in other areas. It's also entirely possible that we could find places or Blizzard could introduce new land masses, whether they're islands or an entire new continent, which they could do. There's nothing that's keeping them from doing that, where we learn about entirely new cultures and civilizations. And we talked about this a long, long time ago. And I I think Matt and I are still on the same page about this. I would absolutely adore an expansion of nothing but exploration and learning about the world, learning about the different places that are out there and having the focus be trying to get a complete worldview of Azeroth with the understanding that we actually don't know everything or hardly anything that we've been so laser focused for so many years that 
you know, we never stop to look at what else is out there in this world. Maybe there's other things. Maybe there's other people. Maybe there's other cultures. Maybe there's something more than just our little kingdom. I would love to see something that explores that more. So, anything else to add to that, Matt? I just found out that Deborah Ann Wall DM'd a game for Kevin Smith. Okay, then. It's got nothing to do with it, but it's, you know, there you go. That's when I found out. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining us today. Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. Your continued support means this podcast sighting community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads free site experience. If you want, uh, you can also sign up for Audible and support us at the same time. If maybe you want to listen to Shadows Rising. Uh, so, if you're listening you to us, you, you, you absolutely should. Uh, it's read by the voice actress for Talanji. And I, I'm Matt. I don't I can't remember her name. And I'm very, very sorry about that. But I know she is very, very. She's incredible. You should you should read it. You should listen to it. Uh, but you can go to uh, audible.com slash blizzard watch. I'm sorry. Blizzardwatch.com slash audible. Ha <laughs> Helps if I do it the right way. Uh, and you can sign up for a 30 day free trial. And you can actually use that as your free book that you get with your free trial. Uh, and I highly recommend it. And if you have questions about the book or anything else, be sure to send them in to us. You can send it to podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Again, singular podcast at blizzardwatch.com or send it to us on any of our various Discord channels. Uh, but thank you very much. We'll see you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.